Ambassador Baptist College is over in Lattimore, North Carolina, and that's not too far from Shelby in uh, North Carolina. Brother Ron Comfort began that 35 years ago, and it has stayed fundamental, true to doctrine, right down the line. Uh, still trained in preachers. Matter of fact, uh, when uh, uh, Billy Abbott was alive, we had him by. He was a graduate of, Amb or of Ambassador. Uh, Brother Richard Harper, who's been here three or four times now, graduate of Ambassador. I'll tell you what, the preacher boys that come out of there, they can preach. And, uh, and you can count on here in the book. That's always a blessing. I understand that even Brother Beal came out of Ambassador, and now here he is, the president of the whole thing. And so we're excited about having him here, and he may say something about it this morning. If not, I know he will for sure tonight. But give him good attention. I know you're going to hear some good stuff today. Thank you very much, Pastor. Take your Bibles and join me this morning in turning to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33, and that's where we'll be here in just a few moments. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we really enjoyed having Pastor uh, with us for a few days at Ambassador and uh, enjoyed the fellowship and uh, enjoyed his preaching. You know, you talk about enjoying preaching, that's sort of mixed. Sometimes you enjoy it and sometimes it's, oh, me enjoyment. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, I really enjoyed that and it's, uh, you're like, Lord, you really worked me over is really what we mean by that when we say it. But we enjoyed his time with us. And uh, at Ambassador, our focus remains the same today as it was 35 years ago, and that's training men and women to, for the gospel ministry. Uh, we train men to preach the gospel. Uh, there is a great need for preachers in this country today. We get calls every week from churches that have buildings, Churches that have facilities, they have programs, but they do not have a pastor. And that's on top of all of the good, all the places that need a Bible preaching church. And uh, so some people accuse me, they think that I think that every young man uh, who's a teenager ought to be a preacher of the gospel. I know that that's not God's will for every teenager, but I will tell you this every young man ought to be willing to go. Uh, some say, you think it's God's will for every young lady to marry a preacher. Well, I know that that's not necessarily the case, but I think, young ladies, you ought to be willing to do anything. And uh, I've just found that when my life is in God's hands, it's in a lot better hands than my own. And uh, I really believe with all of my heart that uh, one of the reasons maybe we've seen a famine uh, in this regard of seeing people go into the Lord's work. There's still people that are doing it, but not nearly as many as I think when I was a teenager uh, a few years ago. Uh, there's just a great need for revival. There's a great need for us to get these worldly allurements out of our hearts and minds. And uh, maybe even tonight I may preach along these lines of casting the American dream to the wind. Now some of you hear that and you're like, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. I'm as patriotic as they come. If you cut me, I would bleed red, white, and blue. But life is about more than making money and having nice stuff. And so uh, my desire is to encourage a younger generation, while all of you, I want you to serve the Lord, I want you younger ones to know God is still calling men and women to serve Him. And uh, I hope that you'll heed God's call. We'll say more about that tonight in the ministry of Ambassador Baptist College. You can look us up on the web at ambassadors.edu and uh, learn more about what we're about, and we'll say more about Ambassador tonight. 
Isaiah chapter 33 this morning. I'd like to read one verse for our text, and that is verse number 22. Isaiah chapter 33, and this morning I'd like to read one verse, verse number 22. The Bible says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Several years ago, I was preaching a meeting near Pensacola, Florida, and there were two of our graduates from Ambassador at the time that were living in Mobile, Alabama, and they called me and they said, Brother Bill, we want to come see you. I said, well, the meeting goes through Wednesday night, so you better hurry up. And uh, so on Tuesday night, they made the hour, hour and a half drive over, and at the service, they said, would you mind if we went out to eat afterwards? I said, no, that'd be fine. And so after the service that night... We went to a really high-end dining establishment. They're all over the country called Arby's. You ever been there? <laughs> I will tell you this. When you eat fast food anymore, it's high cost. I, it's just crazy what it is these days. But I remember we went to Arby's and we sat down and we had not seen each other for several years. And so the first few minutes of our conversation was just filled talking about what the Lord was doing in our lives, the ministries that God had allowed us to do. And it, was, it just seemed like in a matter of minutes, a total stranger from another table pulled up a chair like he'd known us all of his life. And he sat down and he said, gentlemen, can I ask you a question? And I looked at him and I said, why, sure. And I will never forget his question until I go to the grave. He looked at us and he said, here's my question. Who is God? Now, the question startled me for two reasons. One, this is a total stranger who I've never met before in my life. And I found myself stopping for a moment and I had halted. And some of you say, well, why did... I mean, if anybody knows the answer to that question, it ought to be a preacher, right? I would agree with you. But not only was it the fact that it was a total stranger who asked me the question, but in fairness, when you're talking about describing God, where do you start? Somebody who has always been, somebody who is everywhere, somebody who is all-powerful. He's called the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everlasting. And it just, if I could say it this way, the cat got my tongue for just a second. But you know, finally I recovered and my friend and I, we took him basically from Genesis to Revelation in about 30 minutes. And it was after that discussion, you know what I learned? I learned that here was a young college age uh, young man who was searching out religions. He was actively going to people in different denominations, different spheres of religion, asking that question. He was searching. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that we live in a world that sometimes is hostile to the gospel, but can I tell you, I still believe in the United States of America, whether it be Alabama, Florida, or North Carolina, there are still many people searching. But I'll never forget the question, who is God? It wouldn't be until weeks or perhaps months later that I came across the verse that I just read to you. 
Have you ever walked away from a conversation at the time you didn't really, couldn't answer it precisely and then you walked away and then something popped in your mind you're like, ah, I wish I'd have thought of that. That's exactly how I felt when I read Isaiah 33 verse 22, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a question that desperately needs to be answered in this world. And I'm convinced if you're a child of God that you can answer that question very definitively according to verse 32. Here's the question that every person in the world needs to hear answered. Who is God? Even in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, there are a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know Him. And at the end of this message this morning, I'm going to illustrate that. But let me say there are a lot of people that know about God, but they don't know Him. And listen, here's the importance of that distinction. The difference is eternity. And so for the next few moments, I want you to let me answer the question, who is God? Now, I want you to notice in the verse, you're going to notice the word Lord is in all caps. That's not by accident. That is not just by some printer's error. Listen, the reason that that is all in caps, it is a designation for the specific name of God, Jehovah. We live in a multi-theistic society today. You mentioned the word God to many people in America and that can mean many different things. I was in India a year ago in January of last year. You could mention the word God. That means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but not only in foreign countries, but here in America. But when we're preaching today, who is God? I'm talking about the one and only true God, the Lord. So who is God? Number one, God is the judge. Now you know there's something about that designation that sometimes repulses mankind. God is the judge. People would say, I don't like the fact that He is the judge. Let me tell you you why we don't like that distinction. It's because there's something inside of every one of us that does not want to be accountable. But this designation reminds us whether you believe it or not. You know, the truth's not determined by what you believe and what you don't believe. The truth is determined from this book. Every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room or they're listening online, listen to me, every one of us is accountable to God. You've heard the story, a teenage young man living in rebellion wants to get out from under his roof. And finally, one day he declares to his parents, I'm tired of doing all that you've asked. I want to go out and live the way that I want. And so I'm going to leave and join the army. When you hear such a story, you're thinking that young man's about to jump from the frying pan into the fire. He thinks he's about to get out under authority and uh, you know, he may have some freedoms in some areas but before it's over with, he's going to be hating life. But that's what's in the heart of every man. 
We're repulsed by the idea that we're accountable before God. And the Bible tells us that God is the judge. You know, our concepts of judge, judges are flawed by human perceptions. You know, there are human judges that are imperfect. From time to time you read a story, you find that there's a judge that makes a faulty judgment. And years later, a person is freed because of that. But let me tell you, do not confuse the divine judge with human judges. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis 18 and verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's never made one flawed judgment. God knows your heart and its very state today better than you know it. You know, I've talked to people, I say, you don't know my heart. Nobody can pull that on God. And every one of us, one day, is going to stand before Him. There's not a lot of things that I can promise you. I can't promise you what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. I can't tell you what the temperature's going to be. But I know this, every one of us, we're going to stand before God. And I propose to you this morning that we're going to stand before Him in one of two places. You know, there are going to be many that will stand before God according to Revelation chapter 20 at what's called the great white throne judgment. Now, for those of you that have a propensity to not like preaching on judgment, all I would do is just tell you, be sure to listen to this entire message. But one day, every person that has rejected Jesus Christ as Savior will stand before God at a great white throne judgment that is so fierce. Here, lost mankind stands before a holy God and the wrath of God is so so vivid that the Bible says the earth and the heavens flee away. And every person is going to be judged according to their works. And the ultimate standard is going to be whether or not their name is in the book of life. There's been a lot of argument by theologians about the book of life. Is your name written in it at birth? And if you die without Christ, it's blotted out? Or is it written in the book whenever you get saved? You know, people can argue all they want. This is one thing that I know, that if you're here and you've trusted Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone, then your name will be in that book at that day. Now, I don't know that anybody just eagerly says, well, I'd like to be at this judgment. I'd like to be an object of the great white judgment. No, nobody thinks that, but I'm going to tell you there are a lot of people that don't give God a second thought that one day are going to stand before God and when they finally do think about eternity, it'll be too late. Remember years ago, I was preaching in Elizabeth City, North Carolina and on my way up, I'd called the preacher and he told me where I was staying and I didn't write it down. I've learned, listen to me, a short pencil is better than long memory. I'm learning that as I get older. And I pulled up to Elizabeth City. I went to the hotel. I went up to the desk. I asked the woman. I said, uh, all right, I'm so-and-so and I'm here uh, to spend the night. And she looked at me and she said, I don't have a reservation for you. And I said, oh, that's okay. It's probably under the preacher's name. And I gave the preacher's name. And she looked and she said, no, I don't have a reservation for you. 
And I thought, well, the church's name. She looked at it and she said, I don't have a reservation for you. If I'd have known the secretary's name, I would have given her name. I, 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 was, I was at a loss. I stepped away from the counter with a little bit of aggravation. And I called up the preacher and I said, hey, I'm here at the hotel. And they tell me that they don't have a reservation for me. He said, what hotel are you at? And I told him, he said, that's not the hotel I told you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my aggravation turned into embarrassment. I crawled on glass back to the counter and said, Ma'am, I, I am so sorry. I, I, it was my fault. I'm at the wrong place. And we both had a good laugh. But I'm afraid that there are going to be people that stand up in eternity. And it's not going to be aggravation, but it's going to be fear and embarrassment. Because they live their lives sometimes tipping their hat to God, sometimes maybe going to church, maybe being raised in the grave clothes of religion, but they never saw themselves as a sinner lost and undone before God and knelt at the cross and trusted Christ as their Savior. And they never did that. And one day in eternity, they'll stand at that judgment with no excuse. My friend, if you're here today, while you may think that I'm doing something to hurt you, I'm doing something to help you, listen to me. One day you're going to stand before God and whether you reject Him with a fist or you reject Him with a quiet mouth, listen to me, you'll stand before the white throne judgment until you, unless you humble your heart to God. But did you know that Christians one day will stand before the Lord at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now I want to make a very clear distinction here. I firmly believe that when I got saved, listen, I believe that my sins were nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. But one day, Christian, your works and my works will be judged. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian, you've been saved for 50 years, you've been saved for five months. One day every Christian is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and what's going to be judged are our works. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our works are basically lumped into two categories, gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. And those works will be tried by fire and it's only the gold, silver, and precious stone that will last. And while we predominantly think of judgment as a theme that is directed towards lost mankind, can I tell you every Christian in the back of your mind and maybe even in the front of it need to keep in mind that one day all of us will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and our works will be judged. You say, well, our works don't give us any more favor with God. I didn't say that they did. But all I know is this, when I get to the threshold of eternity and I stand before God, I wouldn't mind having a lot of gold, silver, and precious stone, not for my own comfort, but to lay back at His feet and say, thank you for all you've done for me.
you know, we're two months in, a month and a half into 2024. I want to ask you, Christian, how have you started? Have you started laying up a lot of wood, hay, and stubble? Or listen, are you investing your life in eternity? You know, gold, silver, and precious stone, you know how it comes about? Sometimes gold, silver, and precious stone comes about in ways in which most of the world has no idea of what you're doing. You know, in every church, there's one ministry of the church that's always a street fight. You say, what ministry is that? That's the nursery. <laughs> if you're the nursery coordinator in here, you can, vet, you can verify that we have not discussed this before the service, so that way if people get as mad as wet hens, you just say, it's on me, not you. But I'm going to tell you, the nursery is not a very glorious and glamorous place, especially when the devil pinches all those kids in the middle of a service. But I'm going to tell you what I firmly believe. You show me a lady in this church that serves in the nursery, and even on her worst days, she bites her lip and just keeps going forward and says, you know what, it's okay, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm going to tell you what, you, get, you show me a lady like that, you know what she's doing? She's laying up gold, silver, and precious stone. You show me an older gentleman who's coming through the church, and he takes hymnals and he puts them in the racks and he takes out the trash, and he picks up things outside of the main lobby area and out in the parking lot. Nobody else may know, but God's keeping a record. And so folks, I'm here to tell you, God is the judge, and every one of us are going to stand before Him. If you're here today and you're a little bit lighthearted, and you say, well, that's a big deal. I'm going to tell you, you may be lighthearted now, but you'll be heavy-hearted later. You ever stood before a judge before I did? When I was in high school, I got a speeding ticket. My mom, when I got my driver's license, she gave me the same speech that everybody gives their kids. She said, don't get a ticket or I'll kill you. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, in fear of my mom and in fear of my judge, I remember standing before that traffic court judge for the first time when he called my name and started asking me questions. It wasn't, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. No, it was, yes, sir. (laughs) You want to know why? Because here this man was standing before me with a black robe. Although I did not know him, he had invested in him a tremendous amount of authority who could have made my life miserable as a 17-year-old. I'm going to tell you, I still remember the fear that I had when I stood before the judge. I remember the respect and I remember the reverence. And I'm going to tell you, there's coming a day in which every late night talk show host that has mocked God will one day bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is the judge. But not only is God the judge, the second thing I want you to see is that God is the lawgiver. Let me ask you a question. Who determines what's right and what's wrong? Can I tell you what's right and what's wrong is not always what's legal and what's illegal? There's a difference. What is morally right... And what is morally wrong? Who makes the rules? 
Now this is really skewered in our society today. I believe that there are a lot of people that are headed into a Christless eternity of torment who really don't have a firm grasp that all of us have broken God's law. Long time before you were ever born, somebody laid down the law of what was wrong and what was right. My mom lived with us for six years before she passed. I was an only child. She was in poor health and she lived with us. And at the time, my children were a lot smaller. And uh, there'd be times that my small children would do what small children do. Scream, hoot, holler, play, you know. And one day they went through the house in a tear and I could tell it just got on my mom's nerves. And my mom, she stood up and took her hand and she slapped the breakfast nook table and she said, that's it! I'm laying down the law. (laughs) And she did. Let me tell you, long before the U.S. Congress and Supreme Court ever met, God laid down the law. Let's not even go for a moment beyond the Ten Commandments. Where did we get the idea in America that you shouldn't kill somebody else and murder them? Every dishonest historian in America has to grapple with this question. Do you think two Neanderthal cavemen sitting around a fire a million years ago with slanted forehead and bucked teeth. One looked over at the other and said, "Mm, Kill people bad. (laughs) To be quite honest, man, if he has his own heart, would kill people. You know one of the reasons I know God didn't write this, or that man didn't write this book, but God wrote this book, is because God has those thou shalt nots that humanly speaking, fleshly desire is like just the opposite. Man wouldn't have put all that in there. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Listen, you don't have to look beyond the Ten Commandments to understand this, that this room is filled. All right, let me go a step farther. This platform too is filled with lawbreakers. Every one of us has broken God's law. And can I tell you, not only do you see God's law as articulated in His Word, but even nature's law, which is being defied today as well. We live in a day of confusion. Controversial topics such as same-sex marriage, and gender identity. They have been boiled down by some communities being scientific things. However, there's no scientific data to really prove what they're saying is scientifically true. And the same people that scoff the virgin birth are the same ones that support same-sex parentage. I say, you, okay, you, you've really got me confused now. What is happening in this world? It is part of the devil's plan to have man live ever how he wants. But the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. 
And if you're here and you say, well, I think, you know, we ought to be open-minded. Listen, your, bio, your, your mind needs to be as open as this book. And when man says something that definitively, definitively it goes against God's Word, listen, you know who's always right. Now, I'm not saying that as a matter of pride. I'm just saying that we men, by default, we work outside the book, we ruin our lives, but when we stay in the pages of it, we're blessed. You know, for those of you who are sports fans, imagine playing a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game without rules. Oh, forget those 90-foot base pads. Let's make them 60. Instead of pitching from 60 feet, let's pitch from 20. Oh, the three-point line, let's just get rid of it. Hey, there's no out-of-bounds in the football games anymore. You can run wherever you want. Listen, you know what that is? That's chaos. And that's exactly the madness that's happening with mankind. But I want to tell you, every one of us in here, I don't care who you are, listen to me, we have broken God's law. You say, well, that's not very, very nice. Well, it's true, and you've got to listen to the rest of the message. Number one, God is the judge. Number two, God is the lawgiver. Number three, God is the king. <clears throat> I don't know what it's like for you right now, but back home there are a ton, <clears throat> there are a ton of primaries <clears throat> that are going on. I was talking to a guy yesterday. I've never seen so many signs and advertisements in our county is what I see right now. I think everybody and their dog is running for county commissioner right now. The school board is up for grabs. You know, there's a lot of jockeying. There's a lot of politicking. There's a lot of electing that's taking place. And the more I learn about politics, the less I like it. I serve as the mayor of our small town. I have no more aspirations whatsoever. And the more I learn and the more I see, and I'm like, wow, they did that. So, that, you know, I'm just like, oh, you know. I mean, we even look at a nation. Who knows what's going to happen in November? But I'm going to tell you this. Regardless of what happens, there is one in heaven who has never needed to be voted in, and he will be king forever. His name is God. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't, don't be active for good causes. But can I tell you something? If you don't keep your eyes fastened on heaven, you're going to be disillusioned. God is the king. And we have to remember that. And we have to live in obedience to Him. And we have to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Listen, Christian, you are an earthly representative of our heavenly sovereign. There are people in Huntsville, Alabama, in this area, listen to me, they're not going to know about God and about Jesus unless His ambassadors speak up. That our message and our lifestyle matches that of our heavenly sovereign. He's our king. You know, when our churches were thrown into a fit with COVID years ago, several years ago, I remember as an evangelist, for two months being at home, I told my wife, I'm like a caged lion. I'm like, I just don't know what to do with myself. 
But with all that we've seen in the last few years, I'm learning this more and more, that if I just keep my eyes focused heavenward and I realize that God is the King and there is nothing greater than Him, there is nothing that can overtake Him and I will serve Him and I will live for Him, if I'll have that attitude, I'll be just fine. But I've told you this morning, God is the judge. Number two, God is the lawgiver. Number three, God is the king, but last of all, and I'm happy to say, God is the Savior. He will save us. Can I tell you, when I see the first three titles, the last statement, He will save us, blows my mind. And let me tell you why. I want you to imagine with me, here is a judge. Let's say there is a judge who is standing before you and before him is somebody who is convicted. Listen, they are guilty as charged and they are negligent and they deserve death. And that judge halts the proceeding. He tells everybody in the gallery to be quiet and the judge stands up and he announces that this guilty person, yes, he is guilty, but he said, I'm going to do something very extraordinary. extraordinary." And he asks his son to come out of a side room, and the judge says, I know this man is guilty. I know that this man is worthy of death, but I'm going to give my son my own flesh and blood to die in his place. Now, I'm going to tell you the world would be aghast. I mean, to think that here was a judge that would give of his own son, and let's say it's his only son, I'm telling you, that would make headlines. And many people would say that judge is crazy. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what God did for us. And let me take it a step farther. Not only was it His only Son, but His perfect Son. If anybody did not deserve it, it was Jesus. And He died in my place. Yes, I'm here to tell you that God is the judge and His wrath burns hot. I'm here to tell you that God is the judge and those that reject Christ will perish. But I'm here to tell you the judge gave His Son to save you. God is the lawgiver. Parents, let me ask you a question. When your children repeatedly disobey you, does that endear, you to their, does that endear them to your hearts? I know some of you are seeking to be super spiritual now. You're, oh yes, I love them even more when they disobey me. Well, I'm going to tell you, if that's you, I'm glad to have you visiting from heaven today. It's good to have you here. But you know what? God looked down in this world. I think about it in Genesis chapter 6. The world is filled with wickedness. He's about to destroy it all. And yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he was in the ark and he was delivered. Can I tell you? God looks down on this big blue marble. And you know what it's filled with? It is filled with repeated, continual law breaking. 
adultery, fornicating, lying, gossip. You mark it down, every imagination of man's heart is swarming over this globe. And yet God Almighty looked down at a lot of lawbreakers and as the lawgiver, He gave His only begotten Son. Can I go on record to say I am so glad that He will save us. God is the king. Ever since the Tower of Babel, they've been trying to knock him off the throne. I'm amazed at sometimes what people say about God. They think it's comedy and they think they're making money. And I just think to myself, boy, if they only knew the grave they're digging. But no matter how they try, no matter what government may say otherwise, no matter what person may say that there is no God, listen to me, that God who looks down on this world that is filled with rebellion and people that would take Him off the throne in a heartbeat if they could, God, instead of destroying them, you know what God did? God gave His Son and He's given them time and He's giving them mercy in a service like this to come to Him. Right now, you're breathing God's air. Do you know that? You didn't make it. He sent it. And the capacity that you have to breathe, He gave it to you. And I'm going to tell you, not only has He given you this air, but He's given you this moment. If you have never received Jesus Christ, you've never trusted Christ, God has given you this moment to not only know Him as judge, but as Savior. But as I started the message, I want to end. Do you remember I told you there are a lot of people that know about God, but they don't know Him? You may be here today and you'd say, Preacher, I've heard about God all my life. I'm going to tell you, that's nice, but that's not the main thing. You know, it's possible for you to know about God and miss Him in eternity. I watched an interview after the death of Queen Elizabeth. We have a couple of our students at Ambassador that are missionary kids from over that way. And I'm going to tell you, when the Queen of England died, those two kids, because they'd been raised on the mission field and that was what they were accustomed to, I mean, you, you could tell a somberness had really settled over them. And it was after the Queen's death, I did a little investigating. I wanted to learn about her, and I came across this story. I'll never forget it. In an interview, there was a woman who was interviewing her chief of security. And this is while the queen was still living. And the woman asked the man, he said, Do you have any funny stories about the queen? He said, You know, actually I do have one. He said the queen was vacationing over at the castle in Balmoral. And whenever she'd be on vacation, she'd just like to get away for a private picnic. And so often I would go with her. We'd go out in the middle of some area that had a little picnic area and she'd have a picnic, we'd have a conversation and we'd make our way back to the castle. And he said on one of those days after having our picnic and you have to understand she was not wearing a scepter and a crown with all kinds of... I mean it's just him and her dressed in everyday duds. And so as he and the queen are walking down this path they come across two Americans from Illinois. And the queen stopped and she made her conversation with these two gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? Tell me how long are you here? Tell me about yourself. And finally they reciprocated and they looked at her and they said, Well, where are you from? (laughs) 
And she chuckled and she said, well, I live over in London. And they said, well, what are you doing here? And she said, well, my family for a long time has had a vacation place out here. And we come and vacation from time to time. And they said, boy, that's really neat. And then they looked over at her bodyguard and uh, they said to him, they said, have you, or no, excuse me. So after that, they asked the queen this question. They looked at her and they said, ma'am, have you ever met the queen of England? And the queen, without missing a beat, the security guard said, the queen looked at them and said, you know, I have never met the queen, but he sees her all the time. (laughs) The two men directed their attention from the queen of England to the bodyguard, and in awe, they looked at him and they said, you've met the queen? And he said, oh yes. And they said, what is she like? And the two men said, or excuse me, the the security uh, guard said to the man, said, well, I'll tell you, she's a very nice woman, but she can be ornery once in a while. (laughs) And before he knew what was happening, those two Americans gave the Queen of England their cell phone, stood by his side with arms around him, and said, would you please take our picture? When we go home, we want to tell everyone that we have found somebody who met the queen. And after the embarrassing picture, the security guard said politely, he said, you know, he said, since we're out here, why don't you have your picture taken with this woman too? It'll just be a memory. And so the two men unknowingly go beside the Queen of England. He snaps the picture and the Americans go off and the queen looks at her security guard and says, I I would love to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) When they go back to America... And discover who I really am. But I'm going to tell you, I'm afraid that's where a lot of people in America are at with God. They know about Him. But they don't know Him. But as many as received Him, To them gave He power to become the sons of God. My friend, one day you're going to stand before God. Where will it be? Let's bow our heads together in prayer.